0: Put your love in there
1: Star Collective Podcast. This is episode sixteen, joined by co-host Austin Harry, Our guest, Amos Lozano of MJ's. Evening, everybody. How
2: are
3: How you
1: doing?
2: Excellent. Love and life. How are you? Uh, doing? Oh, blessed. Uh, it's funny because we kind of represent the I thirty five corridor here, DFW, Austin in san antonio and so how how's your neck of the woods how's what's san antonio feeling like these days uh growth that's the first
3: thing that comes to mind weather's great today but uh yeah in san antonio it's a lot of growth in a a variety of um you know ways
1: oh growth i thought you said gross earlier i was like oh man (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
2: growth Uh, What I didn't realize is San Antonio is actually, uh, it's one of the top 10 biggest cities in the entire country in that I think it's bigger than Dallas. As far as like population?
3: Yeah. It might be.
2: It's pretty close
3: because we're just, we're super spread out. That's the thing about San Antonio. um, Right. Compared to a lot of other major cities, especially in Texas.
2: San Antonio kind of like extends all the way out to like Bandera and things like that <laughs> way yeah. way out there in the hill it's country kind of
3: san antonio and surrounding areas and includes include like Sibilo, <laughs> <Livo, laughs> bernie like so many different places nearby and it takes like an hour to drive across san antonio
2: <laughs> where in san antonio are you located
3: uh i actually just moved i'm over here on the northwest side but i grew up on the northeast side Yep, and then our our uh, mj's like headquarters is uh just west of downtown um, maybe like 10 minutes from downtown.
1: Northwest is the nice part of town, man. You, you living it up.
2: Yeah, no, that's, uh, Northwest. If I'm familiar, that's like Fiesta, Texas and La Cantera area. Is that correct? Yeah. We're
3: past that though. Even further West. Oh, wow. Nice. You're, you're, you're
1: way out West.
3: Yeah. Nice. we're like, we're between like SeaWorld and Fiesta, Texas. So like Bandera and 1604 area. Is that where UTSA is?
2: Uh, UTSA is closer to La Contrera and like Fiesta, okay. Texas. Yeah. But, you I know. need to get back to San Antonio, Amos. It's, it's going to happen. We're going to link up soon, brother.
3: We got to have a whole weekend. I'll show you all around some the, the, the interesting thing about San Antonio. There's a lot of really cool shit happening, but nobody knows about it. It's, right, like, it's very
2: uh, underground.
3: It's very underground. And it's like everybody doing cool shit either doesn't have a marketing budget or doesn't know how to use that budget and it's like nobody ever knows it's like if you know you know like everything cool in san antonio was like if you know you know which is kind of cool you know but um at the same time it'd be nice to know everything going on it, it took me like actively going out and connecting with people to discover things
2: right in fact when i was in houston the houston scene is very much the same way it's it's underground it's if you know you know um kind of scene and um that's just that's the thing about these big metropolitan areas i mean texas is a big big state and our cities are like the biggest in the country Mm -hmm. and they're they're really their own little states to be honest with like the san antonio is probably the size of like connecticut or (laughs) bigger bigger actually could be i don't know i'm
3: not not (laughs) the best in geography in other other states i stay focused on texas
1: To me, to me, San Antonio is the metal town. I'm a metalhead, so like all like the big metal acts come through San Antonio, and even sure. like even even like we would say some of the old school ones, they they play in venues all across San Antonio, and I'm quite surprised by it.
3: Yeah, they like to come to the Tobin. That's a popular venue. It's like a, also,
1: they, no, no, go ahead. I think there's one called like Aztec Theater. Yeah,
3: out there. another one. Yeah, both of those are. Two of the r- real popular ones.
1: Well, it always helps that Ozzy went out and urinated on the Alamo. So,
3: <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, Stevo like uh, did a flip off a bridge into the Riverwalk, or the what? Yeah, <laughs> he got arrested for it, of course. <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, another thing we wanted to give a big salute to San Antonio is that it is the, uh, veteran, it is the highest veteran populace in, uh, the state of Texas, I believe. I believe there's more veterans, um, in San Antonio than, than just about anywhere else in Texas. So big salute out to San Antonio.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. You know, we got so many bases here. Um, a, a lot of people here are, um, um, transplanted here you know through being stationed here and then oftentimes they stay because they like it a lot it's it's an interesting thing you know growing up because i was born and raised here like you guys know but people listening may not know um growing up when you grow up here you feel like san antonio's lame, but maybe it's like that everywhere i don't know Um, no dallas
2: fort worth is the same way yeah
3: it's like it's lame and you want to leave but then you meet all these military people that have been all over the country and they're like dude this place is legit like we love it here and after hearing that and then exploring the city, I was like, yeah, you guys are right. San Antonio's dope.
1: <laughs> it's a military town with, with a major basketball team, like one of the most successful basketball teams. It's like, what else could you yeah. ask out of a military station?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's what's really interesting. You know, the Spurs really put San Antonio on the map other than the Spurs for a long time. And kind of even still, um, they're kind of like our national like awareness came from them. Um, but the interesting about the Spurs, like you mentioned, is they're one of the most successful franchises, but they're also, it's kind of goes back to that marketing thing. They're not real loud about it. You know, they're not like, they're not like a superstar team. Um, but they, you know, they, uh, have, a, have records, um, as far as a winning records like the superstar teams, but it really comes from Greg Popovich, the coach, you know, he's very humble and very quiet and, very short, as you guys have probably seen in some interviews.
1: They they teach about him in journalism school at Texas State, about how to do proper interviews. They're like, go watch a Greg Popovich interview and learn how to not do an interview. <laughs> 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 he gets asked most the most insane questions like, why do you think your team won? He's like, because they played better. You got anything better than that to ask me?
2: Yeah, he's hilarious. We love him. Yeah, coming from a uh, huge Dallas Mavericks fan, uh, and getting burned by the by the Spurs for the better part of uh, twenty plus years, um, I gotta say, man, I, I'm at least happy for for the state of Texas. Um, who knew that a place like San Antonio would able not only be able to hold an NBA team or uh, you know a major sports franchise, but really experience you know decades of success, and so. I'm just happy for that town. Like, we, uh, you know, from our social stans, uh, standpoint, a lot of our following comes from the San Antonio area. And so we have nothing but love for uh, Bayer County and, um, you know, just the, the people of San Antonio in general. Yep. We'll give you love right back. Very loving city. Uh, real quick, let's let's pivot real quick. Let's talk about MJs. Let's talk about Amos, uh, famous, famous Juice Co. Let's... D- Give us a little backstory.
3: Um, you just want kind of like the, the startup story or what, what do you, is that what you want or just a quick overview of what they are?
2: What do you think? Uh, both. We have time for both. Yeah,
3: for or, sure.
1: Origin story, the epic saga.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really a, a
3: crazy story, to be honest. It even blows my mind, you know. Um, but I guess, let's see. It's always difficult to determine where to start. I'll start with um, when I became passionate about hemp and cannabis, um, specifically hemp was in two thousand and eleven uh, and I graduated high school in two thousand and ten uh, and prior to that, I was very laser focused on uh, football uh, like you guys know football's a big deal in Texas especially high school football it's it's almost on par with college, not quite but because they don't have the budgets but they put quite a bit of money into high school football. So I took it very serious and, uh, I didn't, you know, consume alcohol or I did try, um, cannabis for the first time when I was 15 and, uh, but I didn't really use much when I was in high school because of that focus on, you know, my athletics. But when I graduated high school, I was kind of, um, like a lot of people like lost, you know, not really knowing uh, what I wanted to do with my life. And so I, spent a lot of time just bullshitting, partying and drinking, staying out late for about those first two years out of high school. I didn't wake up before like 1 p.m. for like two years, you know, (laughs) just staying out to like 3, 4 a.m. And um, then I started to um, develop like some some guilt behind using cannabis because I was uneducated on it, right? Um, I just thought just like I was taught my whole life through the DARE program and through my coaches and my parents and teachers, uh, I thought marijuana was like meth and heroin and, you know, other drugs. And um, I, I didn't I knew that it was not as bad, but that's about it. Right. And so um, whenever I would consume it, uh, I would feel guilty and I would get paranoid about like, my parents finding out. And uh, I would it, it was just it would almost ruin the experience, the guilt. Afterwards, you know, I'd be like thirty minutes into into being stoned, and like, dude, I wish I was sober. Like, I don't want to be high anymore. Um, and I took a philosophy course in uh, community college, and in that course, the teacher, his name is Dr. Sadler. Um, he taught me to question my beliefs and question um, just really everything, right? Uh, especially information that comes from um, authority. Um, basically, just. He and, you know, 18 year old Amos didn't realize that every single piece of information that comes from a place of authority isn't necessarily fact or truth. Um, And so it was at this point that I was like, you know what, let me discover the truth about cannabis because this is a source of guilt and like um, just, I guess, like friction in my life. So let me go and research for myself, like when cannabis became illegal, Why it was made illegal, who made it illegal, the uh, origins of all the rumors, both good and bad, about the plant. And um, what I discovered was that cannabis was not made illegal because marijuana is a dangerous drug, but because industrial hemp is such a useful crop, Um, as well as, you know, marijuana is useful for a bunch of medicinal uh, reasons. But um, when I realized uh, that you could make paper out of cannabis and clothing out of cannabis and um, fuel out of cannabis, and, um, you know, all the different uses uh, and and that the government is known about this. For example, in 1914, Lister Dewey, uh, he worked for the USDA and he did some research on paper production and he drafted a research paper showing that hemp produced four times more paper pulp per acre than trees do and it absorbs three to four times as much CO2 per acre, and it regrows in a hundred days or so versus you know, decades for trees. He submitted that to the USDA and they've known that since then, probably knew it before then, but uh, they decided to do nothing with it because um, you know, to, same as to this day, uh, the big corporate entities of America have a strong hold on a lot of these um, agencies Uh, In the federal government, whether it's the FDA or the USDA, um, you know, and so on. And so, William Randolph Hearst was a big player in that. You know, Uh, he's the poster boy for um, yellow journalism and um, he owned one of the largest newspaper chains. Rosebud. The what?
1: Rosebud.
3: (laughs) This guy played a big role in it. So, anyways, that's when i first became passionate about hemp and when i came up with the name mjs um you know i i didn't uh, know what product we were going to sell or what exactly we were going to do all i knew was i wanted to do something with the industrial side of the plant and i wanted to spread awareness and education about it um and so i did that. i started having conversations with my stoner friends you know and educating them about the rest of the plant at that point i started consuming heavily because i wanted to um, I wanted to challenge the stigma that uh, stoners were lazy. And so I was like, I'm just going to get super high and be very productive to like counter that. And, and I did, I did a lot of, um, you know, I was working and going to school full time and I was buying a mobile home. I bought my a first mobile home when I was 19, I was remodeling it. And I was just doing a bunch of different projects, but um, I didn't actually start any businesses or do anything until 2014. In 2014, Fourteen, I started a famous juice company with twenty nine dollars from my parents' kitchen. Um, And what led me to that was uh, in two thousand thirteen, I had a bit of a health crisis after living that lifestyle that I kind of alluded to earlier—staying out late and drinking and partying all night—and and and then I was also working hard uh, on some of the projects that I just mentioned in school and and a full time job. Um, It would put a lot of stress on my body, and I was working out really intensely um, because I got into like bodybuilding and uh, I was about 25 pounds bigger and bulkier than I am now. And uh, basically after two years of that and eating a bunch of shit, you know, I was like, um, grew up here in Texas and in, in uh, San Antonio. So it's barbacoa and barbecue is like, you know, on the daily. Um, yeah. We know you're eating good in San
2: Antonio for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely the foodie city, you know, I mean, so is Austin, but San Antonio is known for it as well. Um, But uh, after 2013, I was experiencing these like muscle spasms, basically, and muscle spasticity um, that would also result in like tension headaches and restless legs that led to insomnia, that led to mild depression, that led to brain fog, that led to fatigue and lethargy, and basically halted my life and uh, I went to five different doctors and none of them knew what was wrong with were probably took a bunch of different tests they thought I had autoimmune diseases they thought I had um
1: go ahead. so we're, we're going gonna, gonna to I to cut you off we're going to go into a quick break one of our sure. sponsor breaks our first one this is the Lone Star Collective Podcast I'm your host Jesse Williams guest Amos Lozano from MJ's we'll be right back yeah. You know it would be cool if your business was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit texascanaco.com. That's TXCANACO.com and click the contact tab.
0: Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast. Distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Facebook,
2: and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri.
1: Back for the Lone Star Collective podcast. This is episode 16. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, joined by co host Austin Zamharari. Our guest this week, Amos Lozano of MJs. How's everybody doing?
3: What's uh, up? great.
1: We left off, you were talking about how you got into yep. this, your usage, showing you were a productive person while being super up there, you're beyond high, you're up there.
3: Yeah, um, I, I, I was uh, talking about the different um, doctors I was going to and the different things they were testing me for, but uh, basically they had no answers for me, which was really difficult, and so started looking into some natural uh, approaches, and I discovered juicing um, in that, juicing raw fruits and vegetables, and it just made sense to me, you know, it's like, fruits and vegetables in a liquefied form. So it's easy for your body to absorb. Um, so I gave it a try. I did a three day juice fast where you only drink juice and water. And, uh, in those three days, the symptoms I was experiencing, like the brain fog and the insomnia and the, um, twitches and muscle spasms, um, significantly reduced, which nothing I had tried before that had reduced them that much. And I had tried like electrotherapy and massage therapy and acupuncture and physical therapy and muscle relaxers and all these different things. And that gave me some relief that I never felt before. So I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, so then I tried a seven day juice fast and by the fourth day, all the symptoms completely disappeared and I felt better than I had ever felt ever in my life. I had more mental clarity than I ever had. Um, I, um, could sleep, much better than I ever had. And I had energy like I never had. And so I realized that uh, this is gonna have to be something that I do for the rest of my life. And so on January first, two 2014, I decided to do a 21 day juice fast and do yoga and meditation uh, the whole time as well. And that's what I did. And those 21 days completely transformed me, like mentally, physically, spiritually, like I literally became a different person. I would see people, um, you know, from high school, friends, or even family, and they would have to, like, do a double take, like, yo, wait, what? This is Amos? And they're like, yeah, what's up? Um, Because I had lost 25 pounds that I didn't even think I had to lose, because I was, like, a big, bulky, like, bodybuilder. So I became very lean, and also, I guess, just, like, my vibe or energy changed, too, um, because I was actively reprogramming the way I think and the type of, like, just energy and spirit I was putting out. Um, And so it was that experience that I shared online on Facebook and, um, you know, just, just shared my experience with juicing. And then I had like an overwhelming response, people calling me and texting me and messaging me um, wanting to learn about juicing. And I had a new person coming over every day to my parents' house. And one of them said something along the lines of like, well, like I want to, you know, be healthy and do this juicing thing, but I don't want to juice myself. And you're making juice every day anyway. So like, can I just get some bottles of juice from you? And that's when it kind of clicked because I've always been entrepreneurial. um, But it didn't, the light bulb didn't go off until that moment where I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could just make extra juice for people and sell juices to them. And I was literally down to my last $29 and I made a YouTube video. It's on YouTube to this day, basically showing, telling people a little bit about what was going on and just telling them like, look, I got this $29 and I'm going to go buy a bunch of produce and... I'm taking orders for juice now, I guess, um, so you can place an order, and that's kind of how it started. Uh, I started selling to my friends and family. Um, did that for about a year and a half in my parents' kitchen. Uh, then I moved to a co-op like vegan snack store where there was a commercial kitchen and a retail space, and I grew there for about two years, bootstrapping the growth while I was working at a rock climbing gym. And it was um, it was there that I. <clears throat> Started to learn about the 2014 farm bill, Um, but this was in about 2016 by this time. And I was like, you know what? It's time for me to start narrowing down what I'm going to do for MJs in the hemp space. And so the first thing I'm going to do, which is what I recommend to um, people that ask me the question of like, how do I get into the industry? Go to these expos and events and find networking events and find groups to to, uh, get involved with and go see what... Um, other businesses are doing and then see where you can fill a gap. And so what I was looking for and going to these, which mostly at the time was going on in Fort Worth and Dallas and Houston. Um, There wasn't a lot surprisingly going on in Austin and nothing happening in San Antonio uh, as far as cannabis and hemp. So I was doing a lot of traveling. Um, I got involved with a group that is not very active anymore. They kind of just disappeared. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of them, uh, TCIA.
2: Texas Cannabis Industry Association. Industry Association. yeah, for sure. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Patrick Moran is a good friend. Yeah, yeah. Are they still
3: doing stuff and active?
2: You know, I, I think they still have an active organization, or at least they, from a business standpoint, they're an active organization, but I haven't seen a lot from their social media and I haven't gotten a newsletter or any kind of email in a long time.
3: Yeah, I pretty much assume they're just like non-existent, but I got involved with them, got in their um, uh, incubator program, and I started to narrow down um, what I was going to do. And I decided, I think I'm going to do hemp apparel because nobody's doing apparel. And uh, I think it's a good way to print designs that could spread awareness about uh, hemp and the difference between hemp and marijuana. And so, uh, hold on, I got to go grab a baby. <laughs> oh, Nice beautiful. She was taking a nap. Okay. So what's her her name? uh, Rowan. That's beautiful. She's so beautiful. She looks just like you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone says. Um, But basically I had a dream or vision of creating a hemp apparel brand that was American grown and American made clothing. So we started doing our research. And of course we quickly realized that that was impossible. The supply chain isn't there. Uh, it no. still isn't there to this day, you know, this is no. back nope. in 2016. Um, so then I was like, okay, um, well, I can import the textiles and I can get them at least manufactured here. And I was starting to create my business plan with that direction when I discovered hemp flour at an event in uh, Austin. And when I discovered hemp flour, I was pretty blown away because up until that point, when people would ask me, you know, can you smoke hemp or like, can I smoke it? I'd be like, no, dude, you wouldn't. There's, there's nothing about hemp you would want to smoke, you know, smoke, smoking hemp is not a thing. And, and it wasn't until relatively recently. And and really, you know, as you guys probably know, the strains of hemp that we're smoking are really just low THC marijuana, extremely low THC marijuana. Um, it's not really yeah. truly the genetics of industrial hemp. Uh, it's closer related to the marijuana plants, but um, I uh, started selling and brokering hemp flower here in San Antonio to the first CBD dispensary in Texas. that actually opened in San Antonio, Alamo Botanicals. And um, then I was like, okay, well, this is cool. And I'm making some money, you know, and I'm kind of in the hemp industry, but how do I attach this back to an industrial use, number one, and how do I um, grow a brand using this demand? And, um, that's when I was like, well, when I go to recreational States, my favorite product to get is is a joint pack, um, because I'm traveling and, um, you know, all I need is a lighter. I don't need a pipe or, and I don't want to sit in my car, twisting up something. It's just convenient. And so I had just got with this company. Um, I don't think I have a card right here, hemp press that made our hemp business cards. And, uh, I hit them up to see if they can make me Um, pre-roll packaging and they're like, yeah, we can do that. So, um, I determined how much money I needed just to do like a test run. And, uh, I determined I needed $5,000 just to test this idea out, found an investor and uh, he gave me the 5,000 and then we tested it out. We got the packages, we got some flour out of Oregon and, um, we, we put 30 joint packs in Alamo Botanicals on a Friday. And by Sunday they were sold out. And um, then it was like off to the races, you know, because at that point, nobody was really doing flour, much less pre-rolls. We were the only pre-rolls on the shelf. Um, And then, of course, to this day, we're still the only ones locally, at least in Texas, I've seen that are packaged in hemp as well. So that's kind of how that all unfolded. Um, I got so busy with that that I actually decided to close the juice company in 2019 because it was like a solo um, you know, show it was just me, and I had an assistant who would help out. But I didn't, um, because I had no formal business training, and I didn't go to school for business, and I never really worked in, you know, a startup. I didn't know how to create SOPs. I didn't know about the formalities of business that um, now I'm learning and much better at, uh, but still learning, of course. And so I didn't have systems in place to be able to hire somebody to take over running that business, and so. The best thing uh, I, I felt I could do at the time was to close it in order to give MJ's the best chance. And so that's kind of uh, the rough startup story of both. Um, yeah, kind of a long-winded one.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to go into our second sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, co-host Austin Zamorari, our guest this week, Amos Lozano of MJ's. We will be right we back. We'll be
0: right back nights in the middle of June, He waves been faking me out, can't make you happier You know it would be cool if your business
1: was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit texascannaco.com. That's txcanaco.com dot and click the contact tab. Welcome back to the
2: Lone Star Collective podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host,
0: Jesse Williams and Austin Zamhariri.
1: The Lone Star Collective Podcast, Episode 16. I'm your host Jesse Williams, joined by co-host Austin Zampereri. Our guest this week, Amos Lozano of MJ's. Wrapping up with our final segment here. What? up? We got the history. We got the background. We're up. We're up to date now. I gotta understand. You're gonna be at the Taste of Texas Hemp Cup. All right. What? I didn't hear you. I understand. You're gonna be at the Taste of Texas Hemp Cup.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. I missed the first one um, because I was in Houston at the CBD Expo, um, and I wish I was at the Taste of Texas. But uh, we'll be at this one, and we're uh, actually supplying all of the hemp T-shirts for the official um, merch of the event, so that's exciting.
1: Awesome. Official merch of the Taste of Texas Hemp Cup provided by MJ's.
3: Hemp made, finally. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I go to hemp events and uh, oftentimes they give out t-shirts and um, I'm like, yo, is this a hemp shirt? And they're like, no, it's not hemp. And I'm like, why? This is a hemp event. This is a cannabis event. Why would this not be made out of hemp? And so I'm really glad to see uh, Patrick and Liz taking the initiative to make that happen for their event.
1: I believe you, you we were talking about the um, the ATX wellness event, hemp and wellness event that took place out in Manchaca and you were talking about the supply chain issues. I figured you, so you you mentioned that a little bit earlier in your story. It's it, a lot of it is it's not cost effective for a lot of people because the, the, just the cost of it goes up so much and it becomes, I think you were with the t-shirt. I think you said you were wearing at the time was like $50. I was like, yeah, yeah. most people aren't going to spend $50 on a t-shirt, but it's, it, it's going to slowly come down as we start getting acclimated to using this more and more in our industry.
3: Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really uh, like, like our, our mission is uh, increasing the demand for those industrially made products like packaging and apparel um, because that's how the cost comes down. Right. And with the demand going up then supply increases, and then we got more domestically produced products and then that helps bring it down. But without, without supply. um, Yeah. You know, the farmers like, you know, when I went out to Lubbock uh, a few months ago and you got all these West Texas farmers real excited about growing industrial hemp and uh, processors ready to invest. But then I'm like, well, where, where are you guys going to sell this? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess, you know, they're, they're eyeing some big players like um, BMW and Mercedes and stuff like that, which they'll use it. But there's so much more. You know, like yeah. A lot of them are talking about using it for apparel, but um the average consumer isn't even aware that a pair, that hemp apparel is an option much less, um, are willing to spend extra for it.
1: There was at the lucky leaf expo. There was a guy who was doing 3d printing and the plastics he was putting in was hemp plastics. And I was trying to explain to my son, I'm like, he's like, well, could you make a video game controller out of that? I was like, of course, like, anything yeah. that you know has been made of plastic could be made of this. And he watched a video that was like from the early 90s. It was a Reading Rainbow video where they were showing how they were taking corn to make solo cups. And I told him, I was like, it's the same exact thing. It's just instead of using corn, we're going to put this hemp plant in the machinery and go from there.
2: Yeah. So, so every- and, and real quick to follow up on that, and I think to bring it full circle, um, you know, I, I saw some of this and, you know, I was like, "How long? how long does it take for this to – um you know decompose you know how long like does this take for it to recycle and all of that kind of thing
0: Mm
2: -hmm. and they're like very very quickly you know this is this is very easily biodegradable uh it can be easily reprocessed and then it began to just just like for you amos it began to click oh man it's so easy. You can see why there were big businesses like DuPont and other like textile products, uh, manufacturers that didn't want this product around because it would easily destroy their their profit margin. And, um, you know, and I think as we move along, when we, you know, we have places in the Pacific Ocean where there are plastic plastics that have just accumulated and they call it like a plastic zone because there's just so much that has been polluted into our oceans, into our rivers and our streams. And this plastic that has been created here domestically, it's cheap and it's not going anywhere. It's gonna take a long time for that to either decompose or to be removed, mm-hmm. um, and if we were to switch to something like hemp plastics, that's it's almost like switching back to Mother Nature. And um, you know, you can see why there are uh, a lot of big energy companies, a lot of uh, lumber plastic companies that that do not want this this product to to come online
3: definitely definitely threatened um but something you know interesting that i learned in this journey is like like you asked you know how long is this this is a great question how long does it take to decompose and they say you know really quickly um compared to um petroleum-based traditional plastics right correct quickly is still not that quick um right And and so really at the core of our problem, we don't necessarily want to just swap um, hemp plastic for petroleum-based plastic and resume the same amount of manufacturing and um, and use as far as single use. The core of the problem is single use plastics regardless of what they're made of because uh, even biodegradable plastics actually contribute more to the problem. Uh, And the reason being they degrade quicker into the microplastics, which then animals in in the um, uh, you know in the environments consume. Um, so it actually makes the problem worse. And so the the what we want to do is create durable, reusable um, products out of hemp. Which that's what's great at hemp can create products that can just be reused over and over and over again, um, as opposed to single-use items. And so um, you know you've seen like hemp straws come on the market. And that's cool to see, um, but I won't support that um, because it's a single-use item. And I'd rather like uh, there. There are some I've seen that are hemp plastic reusable shawls, and I'm like, yeah, that's the solution. Um, we want reusable packaging, reusable um, products, or at least easily upcyclable. Um, and that's really at the at, at the root of of the waste crisis they
1: were were having. We we had a thing when when I was in elementary school, they pushed real big on television, reduce, reuse, recycle. And it's literally, it's a priority list. Reduce the consumption, reuse what you can, recycle what you can't. Mm -hmm. And we've just pushed back to just, we're like, oh, well, recycle seems to be the number one thing and throw away is like the next thing behind it. And it's like, we're not trying to reduce. We're not trying to reuse. And we've actually made strides in reusable items because like the big thing was was it bpa and this chemical that was in these what you wanted to reuse and it was toxic but there's almost no plastic product that you would use to like drink out of or store food in that has bpa in it so it's a lot of the stuff is reusable
3: yeah yeah it's a behavior more so than anything but um you know hemp can play a major role in that um the the biggest thing about like let's say like the Jesse you brought up you know corn um, being a, a, an alternative for plastics and how it's basically the same but the major difference is in the growth cycle you know what hemp does to the soil and into the air you know it helps clean up the soil and it absorbs uh, more carbon than most plants out of the atmosphere um, versus corn and it's similar to cotton. It it adds or well it removes nutrients from the soil. And then at the same time, yep. they have to add chemical fertilizers as well as chemical herbicides and pesticides um, to protect their crops. And hemp needs very little of either.
1: You have to do crop rotations with corn as well. You can't just continuously plant corn in the same field over and over and over. You have to rotate it out and let that land just recover on its own for a season or two. And with hemp, we don't have to do that. We can occupy all those parts of the field, not do these rotations the same way, and produce more, get more carbon capture out of it, Mm -hmm. and not destroy the soil. And then if we, like you mentioned as well, and if we want to, we can actually use it as a form of cleaning the soil as well, as long as we're not going to be using that hemp as a consumable in the form of edible.
2: For sure.
3: Yeah, but it could be used for like biogas chambers to produce uh, natural gas. Um, That's a relatively like newer use of hemp that I discovered through. um, I don't know if you ever heard of Doug Fine and his book, Hemp Bound. He's got a couple other books as well. But uh, in that book is where I learned about um, biogas and uh, hemp as a um, additive for biogas chambers.
1: I can tell you one thing. I went out to West Monroe this weekend move a family member and down the street from where that family used to live at is a paper mill. And man, you can smell to me that the the product that they're using, whatever it is with these oils and and chemicals, I always say it smells like Vienna sausage that was left out to rot and burnt at the same time. And it's just so horrible. And I'm like, man, if we just started switching to something else, this would be 10 times better. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, you know, hemp can play a major role, but at the same time, you know, that's something that I like to make sure people are aware of, you know, whether it comes to the plastics or even paper or apparel, um, just swapping it out without changing the inputs of the chemicals. It's not that much better, right? Like um, sure, now we have a biodegradable plastic, but um, if we continue single use behavior, it's not that much better. Um, Sure. We have a better input for paper with hemp, than trees because it's more renewable but if we use the same chemicals then it's not much better um you know and then for apparel that's what i talked about at the atx hemp and wellness is that there is um hemp apparel that is chemically processed that is not environmentally sustainable and also not very healthy for you to wear um so that's the other thing for people to be aware of that it's not just like um you know you can just put hemp into anything and then it's the cure and it's um you know the the end-all be-all solution Um, there's also some things inherent a part of the supply chains that we need to change uh, and add hemp to it's just a major piece of the puzzle but it still
2: is only a piece that's why i love you amos like you 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 just sleep and breathe education (laughs) and um like every time i talk to you i feel like i get like a tiny little nugget i can just take home with me I really, I try, but see
3: one thing that really gets on my nerves has become very popular in the past couple of years is greenwashing, which is you know the concept of um, marketing the fact that your company is sustainable or eco-friendly. These new buzzwords that are starting to lose their value because of this. Um, You see, you see it everywhere now, and um, I encourage um, consumers to look into what does that actually mean. Like, what is, what is this company actually doing to be sustainable? Um, You know, it's like, they they say they use recycled plastic and like, that's cool, but are they really? And then, and second of all, like Jesse um, mentioned, it kind of recycles became like our default, at least in America. And we have a shitty recycling system. It's terrible. The majority (laughs) of what you put into the recycle bin doesn't even end up getting recycled. Um, because it's, it's just not um, a good system. And so it's not a good solution. And so I like to be sure that people understand the, the full, I guess, like picture of what sustainability means. And it doesn't just mean swapping out one input for another, like, you know, using hemp instead of petroleum-based plastic or hemp instead of corn. That's not enough. That doesn't, that doesn't make, it makes it more sustainable, but it doesn't make it sustainable.
2: True. It's total be, total behavior change.
3: For sure, for we'll go- sure. And we have to really change a lot of our systems as a whole, um, as well as use plants like hemp.
1: We'll go ahead and plug your website and your social media accounts for everybody.
3: For sure, yeah. Um, you can find um, my pre-roll company at MJ's Hemp. If you're a grower or a farmer or a retailer, um, we specialize in pre-roll manufacturing and so we've got our own brand if you want to wholesale and retail um, that or if you manufacture your own line and you want to outsource that work uh, we also do pre-roll manufacturing you can find us at mjs.com and uh, on instagram at mjs hemp and then uh, famous juice company is my my juice company we're the first juice company in texas to do raw cannabis hemp juice and we're currently building a hempcrete location here in San Antonio to serve that hemp juice out of. Uh, you can find our website is FamousJuiceCompany.com. You can follow along uh, the build of the hemp uh structure And then our Instagram account is FamousJuiceCompany uh, at FamousJuiceCompany. And um, one thing I do wanna mention uh, on the juice company, I am currently taking investment and uh, looking to close out that investment round. And if anybody is listening that might be interested in investing, um, you can shoot me an email at amos at com. It sounds like that $29 has served you well, brother. <laughs> it has. You know, I've learned how to grow it um, for sure. But, but at some point, you know, one lesson I had to learn, which is right around the time I started MJ's, um, that, that you can boot, this is a, a, a good lesson, a hard lesson though. You can bootstrap the startup. But you cannot bootstrap the scale up. Scaling needs cash and it needs capital. And so that's where I'm at right now with Famous Juice. Seven years in, we're building our first location. Um, And I'm raising investors to scale.
1: Well, we appreciate you joining us on the Lone Star Collective. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, joined by co-host Austin Zambreri. our guest this week, Amos Lozano of MJ's. Everybody, have a great week and great weekend. We will see you at the Taste of Texas Hemp Cup, December 12th, 3 p.m.
2: Thanks for having me. Much
1: love, Amos. Adios.
0: I love the way I love the way